is this something that can work for for anybody, or are there certain types of people where anybody? That's quite normal. That's just the energy. Is that normal? That's normal. Oh, I thought I was weird. What got you to to looking into it in the first place? Looking for something more to life. It's vital to to know your values, what you stand for, what your brand is about. That all comes from a space of awareness. On this week's Engaging Marketeer, I am speaking with Vipula Divani about consciousness and self-awareness, which I will confess is not really my thing because I am a complete Luddite when it comes to emotional uh, emotional awareness and emotional intelligence. But I'm going to learn something on this and I am going to change the way I get up in the morning and change the way I, I affect my mood thanks to speaking with Vapula. So let's hear about this. Would you describe yourself as a, as a relationship coach? And if so, what, what exactly is that? So my niche is in relationships, but effectively it's about self-awareness because that impacts every aspect of our life, whether it's careers or relationships or lifestyle, all of that, because it's all about the self first. And although I, I am a relationship coach, absolutely, eventually the learnings come from the person themselves, and that's part of the awareness. And, and how important do you think that is for someone in order to, to be successful in their, in their life or, or business? Vital in everything, in everything, um, particularly in what you do in terms of marketing. It's vital to, to know your values, what you stand for, what your brand is about. That all comes from a space of awareness and knowing what it is and knowing what it is that you want to put out there and help people with. We're just not aware of it. We're doing it unconsciously a lot of the times we just don't put the emphasis on the awareness of it so how, how i was gonna say how, how do you become aware that you're unaware i think that's probably the first step yeah go on how do you become aware that you are unaware how do you, how do you find that, you, that you've got an, this is a ridiculous question isn't it how do you no, find that you've got a need just asking the questions is the start to it you know what, what what am I about? What is my brand about? Well, who, am, who is my niche market? Who am I selling to? Who is my ideal client? All that is part of becoming aware of what what it is you're then providing for them. And and is this different? Whether you can actually relate to them on that level too. I mean, I yeah. I if I can't relate to somebody, I'm not going to be able to provide a half decent um, coach for coaching session for them. Is this different from when you say you? Do you mean you or, or you as in me? <laughs> yeah, I knew this was going to happen. In any, I'd say, okay, <laughs> I'd probably say anyone. But is that mean like the person or the business and the brand? Or, both, or because both. the person and what the person is about eventually lends to the brand, as, as far right. as I'm concerned. You, you, the person does become the brand. And, and, and what are the first steps for someone to, to become aware if you like. The questions are a start and then introspection, which leads to a level of um, an emotional maturity or a level of asking the questions of the self. What is it that's not working? What is it that is working for me? What do I, where do I see myself and how can I get there? 
and how does it lend to my values? All those things um, are about just becoming aware of who I am and what I want so that I can get there. And introspection provides that for me. How, how difficult a process is this? It's not uh, difficult. I mean, a lot of people are already doing it. The people who are who sit in nature and can connect in nature and they, they discover that they're part of something, their existence is part of something bigger. And then there are others who sit and meditate and allow for the thoughts to come and go. And then there are others who sit down and create business plans and ask the questions of where do I want my business to go? Mm. And all that is just about awareness. And is, it, is this something that can work for, for anybody or are there certain types of people yeah. where... Anybody, anybody. Not, not everybody can sit down and meditate for 10 minutes or 40 minutes quietly. Mm. In which case, doing anything repetitive like a walk or, or some, like a cycle or something that's repetitive and it takes. So we have a conscious mind and an unconscious mind. Doing something repetitive takes the conscious mind out of the way and then it allows for everything else to come through. It's similar to, say, driving a car. When you first learn, you have to engage your coordination. You look in the mirror, you, you, know, you, you put the car in gear and there's all those processes to consider. But after a while of doing it, it becomes automatic. And then you find yourself, I've, I've found myself driven to places where I, sometimes a repetitive route, I don't know how I got there. Mm. Unless something out of the ordinary happens and you come back into that space of engaging and your reflex is taking over. A, do, a daily ride to say a school drop for me was almost how did I get here? It was so natural and automatic. But it wasn't like that in the beginning. Mm. And it's the programming and the habitual programming that makes it easier over a period of time. So it's not always easy in the beginning, but forming the habit of doing it is what will then make it um, automatic. So it's the safe, same with any form of self-awareness. When, when there's meditation involved or some form of awareness that we begin with, after a while, it becomes automatic. Mm. The questions, um, the answers you get, you start trusting them more easily. In the beginning, they're almost, you know, when I first started up 10, 12 years ago, and that was purely through awareness. It wasn't actually a conscious decision to meditate. It was just daily walks of about uh, half an hour, 45 minutes each. I found myself becoming far more open and becoming more conscious of energies and asking myself questions of what am I doing? Where am I going? You know, there must be something more to life than this kind of space. And by, I wasn't always getting the answers, but then they would, after a period of time, I started getting them and I started trusting that, okay, maybe let's try this route. Let's try that route. See if this works for me, see if that works for me. And when it doesn't work for me, Again, it's about the self-awareness of knowing it's not working for me, so it's time to move on or adapt or facilitate something else. Mm. Um, All that is awareness. And Darren, I'm sure you do it without actually being conscious that you're doing it. It's, it's possible. Your, your example about driving the car is something that I, I, I am aware of, of that. And I, I've used that example myself. It, it's the difference between 
unconscious incompetence because when you yes. first drive a car you don't know how difficult it is you don't know what it's like and then you go to conscious incompetence you realize that it's hard you can't do it yes and then you go to conscious competence where you can do it but you've really Absolutely. got to concentrate and focus and eventually you get to unconscious incompetence where as you say you're driving along and you zone out you're doing it on instinct and you don't realize how you got there yeah yeah that's exactly it and that's mm. through a constant programming of and constant habit of doing it that, but that is, is, that a, is that a bad thing though that if you're if you're unconsciously doing something and you're not really aware that you're doing it should you be aware and, and more alert to the fact that you're doing something is it a bad thing it's not a bad thing but you can give instructions to your unconscious mind to bring you out of that state if something so because we have the flight or the, the the fright or flight mode our when something comes out of the ordinary, for example, when we're driving, we automatically engage back into the, into a conscious space because we've all, we're already considering uh, safety when we've learned. We've programmed safety and being safe into, into us when we're learning to drive. So that part of our brain engages as soon as something out of the ordinary happens and you become conscious again. In terms of self-awareness, a lot of it starts happening unconsciously, yes, because that becomes a habit. But a new question will always come up, which is stretching me a little further. And the so, new question will always be something to the effect of, okay, I made this change. Is that working for me now? You, you said you, you, you were going for a walk and you were looking for answers. Mm -hmm. And you found the answers. What, what were they? Sometimes it's depending on the mood I was in on that day. And I, I've gone through a period of depression and a period of soul searching for something more and something better. And sometimes it was simply it's my troubles are so insignificant in the bigger context when I'm, when I'm part of that nature. Because it's it's so minute my existence compared to everything else that's going on around me, and sometimes it was simply, this is a great day and it'll get better. Mm. Things are good today, um, but it was just part of that learning that I was part of that nature. I am part of that existence, and there is something much greater than what my what I was about that there is something much bigger than me out there. And that then started adding value to my purpose and doing something for myself that was going to be more than just about me. It was going to be something that was greater than just for me. And that is something I picked up entirely from nature. Doesn't it ever what worry you? Because you said then that my troubles are insignificant. Doesn't that ever make you think that you're a bit too small in the world and that almost like you, you don't matter? Doesn't, doesn't, isn't that a, a side effect of that? Or am I reading too much into this? No, it does. I do matter. But it's the experience and the, the belief I attach to it that is not as relevant. So I don't have to see it as a suffering or a point of pain as a belief. It's just, it's happening and I'm experiencing it in the way life happens and in the way a tree grows and ages or in the way flowers bloom and die. 
I'm part of that experience. And that's what I took back with me. I was just part of that experience, but I didn't need to attach that belief of it's got to be painful or it's got to be sad or it's got to be good or bad. It just is. Just is. Yes. And that's what, I mean, a lot of it for me happens in nature. A lot of it happens to me when I walk. But that seems to give me um, a sense of calm and serenity. And also... Um, what, what in the spiritual community is called downloads, but they're just sort of inspiration, points of inspirations, ideas, uh, thoughts that come through. And and what, what set you on this path? What got you to, to looking into it in the first place? Looking for something more to life, something that had to be, there had to be more to life than just what, you know, just where I, just what I had been doing to that point. I was... Um, uh, I was born into a traditional Indian family, um, <clears throat> emigrated, born in Tanzania, and then via India and all other places, I eventually emigrated to um, to England, started living in London, followed the route of get married, have the children, you know, what was culturally expected of me, societally, and uh, through the family what was expected of me I thought I was just following what was expected mm. and then gets to a point where there has to be something more than this it didn't feel I did what was expected of me but it didn't feel fulfilling enough yeah. that I always had this tug that there was something more and so I started seeking I started searching actively I would go to events I would go to um all sorts of spiritual modalities. I tried out different forms of meditations. I tried out past life regressions. I tried out anything that I started doing Reiki. I became a Reiki master. I started learning about energies and how energy relates to our thoughts and our karma and was doing all sorts at that time and simply because I was seeking answers. Mm. And one fine day, speaking to some friends, I realized that I had learned quite a bit about myself through it. And I could then start, I was then helping them come along that journey. So there were those that mentors that were helping me and I was helping others and then realized that we were just all on, we were all seekers at some level, some just a few steps ahead in some aspects of life and others in other aspects. And that's what then prompted me to go down the coaching route. I found a mentor who, and a community that helped me tap into that aspect of my life. But what it did more than anything else was bring awareness to me. I was already doing all those things, probably from the time I was a child and already developed all those coping mechanisms without realizing. And it was only by having that learning and that awareness, I was able to start labeling it as such, mm. that that's what, was, that's what was part of my life, my learning, that it was spiritual in that aspect. And once I got past those labels of, say, being a psychic or being um, a Reiki master, all those labels and all those boxes that I had learned and I put myself into, 
I needed those for a while. And then I went beyond that in that I don't want those boxes. I, I'm just a spiritual being having a human experience, but as part of the human experience, I do not want to restrict myself by being in a box. But I needed that box in the beginning mm. as a form of awareness and a, and a form of knowing what I was about, where I was going and what I was cultivating for myself, the identity that I was beginning to cultivate for myself. And, and of those... The, 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 those boxes, as you call them, the, the Reiki, the regression, various things, What, which of those had the most impact for you? When I became a tutor for other spiritual practitioners, that was the greatest impact because it now meant I wasn't just on the learning side. I had crossed over to the side where I had to be the educator for others. I had to shed that light on others and facilitate others and that's what that was the biggest crossover that was the biggest learning that until that point i was just a student of anything that i could that appealed to me and then the crossover when it came to showing that to others that was the biggest turning point and and now you're you're helping other people with this you're helping business owners and so I help, yes, I help anybody who needs, um, it starts with relationship coaching. But I now, it always goes back to self-awareness. It starts with relationships because that's the pain that they're in. And that was the pain I was in uh, when I started seeking. So I understand that journey. But it always ends up being about the self-awareness and how we choose to respond um to those experiences in life yes so a lot and, of people in in business you say relationship issues a lot of people in business don't have time for relationships or is that in itself a relationship issue yes it is a relationship issue because sometimes it's a distraction because because it's again it's similar to i know what i'm doing when i'm in this work mode I know who I am. I know who I can be. I know I have, I have what my my tasks are. I know how to carry them out, and I know how to how to solve the problems that come up for me in that space. Comfort zone. Yeah, and then it then becomes a distraction because looking at something else outside of that is a greater challenge, because it's it means going inwards, and that is harder and more painful sometimes. Then, but once, but it's worthwhile. So once it's done, it then spills over into the relationships they then form at work, even if they are professional ones. Mm. It does impact those. What sort of um, negative traits do people find that, that, that they develop in their the relationships, either personal or professional? They put up with a lot of pain, Darren. They put up with what I well. Pain is not always bad, but they keep, because it becomes comfortable, they start diminishing who they are. So an individual, and I relate this to myself, I diminished who I was because it kept the peace within a relationship, because it meant I could function with my daily tasks of being a mother or a wife or, you know, all the roles that I needed to play 
um, that I could function those without disruption. So I kept myself small to keep the, to keep the peace, the environmental peace, but it wasn't giving me peace within. But to keep that peace, I was keeping myself small. And I find a lot of the relationships do that because it's it becomes comfortable. It's just easy not to trigger somebody else and to stay small. And do you find this is obviously back in say 50s, 60s, 70s, breakdowns of relationships and divorces were a lot lower than they are now. Do you think times have changed so that more people are becoming aware of themselves and their own unhappiness and, and basically wanting to change things? Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's, it's in terms of the, f the family setup as well for children, it's better to have a happy parent, a comfortable, a relaxed parent than, than a relationship between parents that isn't working for them, even though they're trying to maintain peace. Children are sensitive. They, they pick up on these things. So even in that sense, and there is, I, I guess there is more, even culturally, it's more acceptable now. The society is more accepting of it now, while it's 30, 40, 50 years ago, it wasn't as accepting. And it wasn't as, and it was far more difficult, even legally, to go through those. Mm. So times have changed and it become, and it has become more acceptable now, yes. Is it as acceptable in India as it is in the UK now? No. No. In the cities, it is. But certainly in the smaller towns, and it's not it's not as acceptable because the Indian setup is less about the individual and more about the community. So how the community feels about it uh, from a religious aspect or even a cultural aspect is is still maintained to a greater uh, in, to a greater deal than say the individual is. In the West, the individual has more of a say, um, mm. even in a in a family situation. Yeah. But in India, they do worry a lot more about what the community will say, what society will say, how they will be treated as as a, as a a single woman afterwards. How they would be treated is a whole different uh, mindset too. And and how about the men? Do they have this worry? Less so. Less so, they they remarry far easier than women do. Um, well, that's been historic um, until now, but there are changes happening, and women are becoming more, um, in, because they're becoming more independent, they're able to do that a lot more now, yeah, have their say a lot more. Yeah. It's the financial independence that's giving them the voice. But there's still no parity there, though. No. No. So, how are you? How are you finding people coming to you? What sort of marketing are you doing, and what questions are people asking when they get to you? Um, generally, it's been through word of mouth. I've had friends recommend friends um, who've needed help, and a lot of them have chosen to remain because of the con because of what it is I do, a lot of them choose to remain anonymous. Mm. 
and I respect that, so I keep it that way. I very rarely do I post testimonials and stuff because of it. I do quite a lot of posting on social media content. I just create content and I just put it out there. I get people who contact me through that at times. And we just have conversations. There's no, there's no real sales approach or anything. It's just a conversation. See if there's synergy there. See if I can help. And then we take it from there. So at the moment, it's still a very personal kind of relationship I have with each one of my clients. Mm. It's not a, a big marketing drive. It's still individual. They still get me directly. It's, um, it's more personal at the moment. Yeah, And it's conversations. With, I have some really um, wonderful uh, conversations, even if they don't um, become clients. Even if um, through one of the initial chats, we've dropped, a, we've planted, I've planted a seed or two, then that's uh, well worth what I do. Mm. And what uh, social media channels uh, are working for you? Instagram is working for me. Really? Yeah. Instagram is working for me and uh, less to a lesser degree, TikTok. But Instagram certainly is working for me. <clears throat> and LinkedIn, to some extent, is working for me, yes. <clears throat> and I just started, I just um, signed up for threads yesterday because that went live. It's an Instagram. So we'll see how that goes. Mm. Um, but Instagram at the moment has been the most um, useful for me. And what, what kind of content are you, you posting, particularly Instagram and, and TikTok? I do um, a few reels. I do. A, it's like I do a reel. I go through the the en one entertainment, one educative, and one long post kind of that I do. I do a long post on a Sunday, and I do smaller ones, shorter ones, sentence kind of educative ones more than anything else on a couple of days of the week. I do a note to self one of the days where it's a note that. It's of questions that you can ask yourself kind of space. I write a longer post, usually on a Sunday, about things that happen in relationships. So trauma, emotional trauma in relationships, um, fear in relationships, that, that kind of, but it's a longer post. Mm. Uh, with carousel content on Instagram, it's repurposed on Instagram as a carousel content. And that seems to do well on Instagram. I do get a lot of queries on the back of those. So you're repurposing content, which is which is good. Yeah, yeah. I try to, and there 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 are days when I haven't had time, and I just I haven't re I haven't reposted anything in the last um, six or seven months, which means I have been creating it. Sometimes I just use a a, a video and a template and just repurpose it that way. Mm because I need to put something out. But a lot of the time, the, con the written content is all mine. Yeah. Mm, okay. And in, in terms of the kind of people that are approaching you, is there a, a variety of different types, or is it all sort of a, a very similar kind of target demographic? No, it's a variety, actually, surprisingly. I, I thought my target market was a more mature woman, but I've had a lot of younger younger women. Really? Yeah, I've had a lot of young women. Uh, including men, a lot of younger men. Um, so 
maybe I need to have a look at that. But in, in reality, I thought my market was going to be a more mature sort of space. The, I'd say 70% of them have been a lot younger, but like early 30s kind of young. Mm. It's interesting and, uh, and perhaps good, I think, for the world that you're attracting people like that when you've got the, the Andrew Tates of the world who are going out there <laughs> and telling young men to be chauvinistic pigs towards as many women as possible. Yeah, the exact opposite I, of what you're doing. Absolutely the opposite, completely the opposite. Um, but the, the main thing is it's once, once the attention is drawn to the fact that they already have the answers in them, it's then allowing them that courage to, to, to have those conversations and to not be frightened of those answers. Mm. That's, that's the biggest challenge for the men. They have the answers, but because they're not so, they're more logically inclined to have those conversations sometimes is, is what, you, it's okay, you can go down that road and have that conversation. And and how does it work for somebody? Say uh, a man in his his early thirties contacts you. How do you begin the the process of actually working with them? I start with a conversation. So they've gotten in touch with me. We, we arrange for a chat, a Zoom call, usually of twenty to thirty minutes, and we have a conversation. I see what the, I ask, what the problem is, what the issue is, and of course, it works both ways they might find that there's no synergy with me and what I have to offer. So, you know, content, written content is one thing. When you speak to somebody, it's a whole different um, way of connecting. Mm -hmm. So see if there's synergy for both of us. And then I don't help, I don't sell at that point. I just, there have been times when I've actually done a release or two and got, gotten them to the bottom of their issue walked away from it. And there are times when they've messaged me again and said, I need help again. And it's a different issue. And that's when we have conversations about money and stuff. With the first one, generally, there's never any speak, anything about money at all. It's just, okay, I'm here to help. How can I, how can I help? So you've actually managed to help people just on an initial conversation and effectively solve their, their problems for them. Yeah, the pain that, that they're in at that point. It doesn't mean it's gone down to the, to the root level. It just means that mm. the pain that they're experiencing at that point, I've, I've helped them with that. Yeah. And can you give me an example of the kind of pain that somebody may be experiencing? Obviously, I know you can't reveal the details, obviously. Yeah, so I, I do a lot of inner child work as well. So if someone is experiencing um, the idea of, the abandonment, the fear of abandonment that they might be, that their girlfriend or whatever might leave them, and they're actually experiencing as, as, as real anxiety. And it's, in fact, doing that to their relationship because of the anxiety. I do a bit of inner child work straight away and see if we can go back to a space when that abandonment issue was first um, first shows up as a pattern for them. That they can remember. It doesn't mean it's it's happened then, but that's the first recollection they have of it, which is generally before the age of seven. Um, and I take them back to that space and have con and they can have a conversation with themselves as a as their child as 
them as a child and see if we can do some releasing at that point and comforting that little child from that time. So there's a lot of inner child work that I do on the first fall because it's easier to deal with and they can relate to it much quicker. Hmm. So a lot of the releases I do are based on spiritual principles. And it's a belief because they cannot, I mean, some of them can be grounded in science, but a lot of them can't. But if it helps the client, then absolutely it's just taking them back to remembering that they're divine, powerful beings and that they've collected all these patterns that are no longer useful to them. And then I can see this being working well with a man because, um, you know, I, I, I have an inner child and probably an outer child as well. Is this the same for women, though? Do, do women have the same yes. problems? Yes, yes. They have similar issues. Um, they show up differently, but similar issues. When, when you get down to the root level, whether it's hopelessness or helplessness, worthiness, powerlessness, all of those, they, they still... And when you get to that root level, it works for a man and a woman. It doesn't matter. They're just man being manifested differently in their daily lives. But at the root level, they're all the same. Hmm. And oh, I'm, I'm going to risk it now. Um, I've got my own issues, obviously. Uh, they're quite public. Um, we all do. <laughs> we, all, we all do, exactly. We all do. Now, I'm, I'm aware that um, imposter syndrome is quite a common thing, and I, I understand it's more common in women than it is in men for some reason. I don't know why that is. But I sometimes go through stages where some days I have wonder, well, you know, am I good enough to be doing something? Why am I talking on this stage in front of these people? Why am I, why should somebody come to me for, for marketing? And, and, and I worry about that, you know, have we been successful in our agency? Have we built up a big client base? We've been going for 14 years now. Why isn't it bigger? That, that sort of thing. Whereas other days I'm the complete opposite. Other days I think I'm amazing. Mm -hmm. I've absolutely smashed it. Um, I've done a TEDx talk, thought I'd get that in there. I've done all these really cool things. I am absolutely incredible. And it just sort of goes in, apps, you know, I'm doing it like that. It's up and down. And why is that? That's quite normal. That's just the energy. Is that, is that normal? That's normal. Oh, I thought I was I, weird. I, I, no, it's completely normal. There are days when I sit here and I think, who am I to do this? I mean, who am I to do this? Yeah. And there are days when I've, when I've had a brilliant call and great feedback and I think, this is why I do it. And there are days when, oh, could I have done that differently? Could I have done that better? Could I have helped slightly more? Did I? And it's that that keeps me engaged and wanting to learn more and be more because I know I can keep providing more. The minute I feel I'm comfortable, I don't think I'll be doing a good job. So that I think that's when the imposter syndrome works really well. Because it keeps you on your toes. It keeps you from getting too comfortable in what you're doing. And it keeps you searching to be able to provide more and better. So it's a positive thing. Yes. Everything can be positive if you see it as such. Hmm. If you use it as such. Because it's showing you something, right? 
The questions you ask yourself on the days when you don't do so well are showing you where you can improve and perhaps get better next time if you use them as such. Mm. So you can you can use those to your benefit and for the benefit of the business, but more importantly, for the benefit of those that you are facilitating and helping. See, I've, I've never thought of it as being a positive. I've, I've always looked at it as in it, it's a bit self-destructive because you no, end up beating yourself up about it. It's like, you know, oh, and then it... It, it becomes well, a vicious circle, right? Yeah, you then beat yeah. yourself up for beating yourself up about it. Yeah. Something negative could happen during the day and then it just sort of goes on a spiral. Yeah. But it could just be showing you where you could get better. And it's normal. You choose to see it that way. I'm normal. Absolutely. We all do that. All do that. Completely normal. <laughs> wow. I do that. I do that. Everybody does that. Every every client I've spoken to, yeah. everyone, it's completely normal. Right. And as, as, as another thing, I mean, I, I've been told that when you, when you awake in the morning, you should set yourself on to a good start for the day by thinking something that you are grateful for or something that you know you, you, you're happy about, I tend to start the day quite negatively. And I'm aware I'm doing it. I know I'm doing it. And it does end up then that I am absolutely not a morning person because I can be quite miserable, down, mm -hmm. downtrodden, and, and just, just, just not very happy in the mornings. And I, what's the... Can that be turned around? If so, how? What's the best way to do that? Um, absolutely, it can be. And you have to feel it, though. It's not just a matter of saying it, because saying mm. that it's the feeling and the intention that carries the energy. So just saying the words on its own mean nothing unless you're feeling it within, too. But one of the things I find works better, particularly for me, um, is setting three intentions for the day, who I'm going okay. to show up as. So I set the intention of not, not the gratitude, it's who I'm going to show up as today. So I'm going to, even something like I'm going to be happier today than I was yesterday. I'm going to make more of an effort today than I did yesterday. Or I'm going to be confident today. I actually set an intention for the day three things that I'm going to show up as. And my gratitude is at night. So at night I can assess, did I show up as those three things? And where could I have been better? Oh, so you're but accountable it, to yourself in the evening then? Yes. So my gratitude is in the evening because I have set the intention in the daytime. And even if I showed up as 60% confident than what I had said I thought I might be as, I'm grateful for that 60% because it's still better than what I was yesterday. And it sometimes takes 1% better, half a percent better than yesterday. Hmm. But it's at night, that accountability is what then makes me grateful for how I showed up during the day. And uh, I think I know the answer to this. Do you ever have days where that just doesn't work? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And my gratitude at night is I tried and it'll be a better day tomorrow. Mm. But I 
But the fact that you put that down as an intention, your unconscious mind will remind you if you set that as an intention. So it will remind you. It will be that little voice in the back of your head that says, you said you were going to be this today and you're not doing it right now. Mm. And at that point, I turn around and I say, thank you for reminding me because it loves being reminded. It loves being, being you know, it, it, will lo it, it loves being appreciated. So the more I appreciate it, the more it will remind me. And that's then what becomes a habit. In the beginning, it's all an effort. Mm. And then it's a habit. It's like going to the gym. We exercise our physical bodies, but it takes a while for it to be effective and it takes consistent effort for it to be effective. It's, an, it's the same thing. You're just exercising a different kind of muscle. And by doing this regularly, you, you can effectively change your, it's not, not personality, I suppose, it's more attitude and outlook. Yeah, and personality, how I choose to show up. Right. How I choose to show up. I mean, if I had to get up on stage and, and speak and how I choose to show up is something I can intentionally choose. Mm -hmm. And someone like me, who's, as I say, quite negative and downbeat, what things can I do to change that? Gratitude, for sure. But setting the intention of how you want to show up. So I'm going to be... See, happier is it is dependent upon external, <clears throat> external situations. Yeah, I can't control if I'm going to be happy because... Stuff Some, might. Because you're relying on somebody else to make you happy. Yeah. But joy is what comes from within. So you can choose that I'm going to find joy in my work today. Okay. I'm going to appreciate the person who says this to me or the next phone call, I'm going to say something nice to them. I'm going to pick up the call with it. Sometimes, sometimes my intention is something simple like, <clears throat> when my mother calls today, I'm going to pick the phone up with a smile. <laughs> <laughs> and it works because she <laughs> she she hears it in my voice she hears the smile in my voice and will yeah. talk a lot more yeah. because she sees me as being receptive to her to her calling me yeah. yeah and even if i'm not actually actively listening to her i've just put the phone on and i've let her talk away <laughs> and I'm getting on with something like, say, cooking or whatever else I'm doing. She's not going to listen to this and know you do that, is she? She's just enjoying herself and she's give, she's being able to speak and she feels... Oh, she, know, she knows you do that then. That's okay. Yeah. yeah and okay. it's fine. Oh, yeah. She, it's like she's, she's then a part of what I'm doing in my life. Mm. So if I'm cooking or something, she feels a part of it. So it's kind of like being there in the room with her, but she's just on the phone. Yeah. Like but I set the intention right from the start as I'm going to pick up the phone call with a smile as opposed to, oh, what is it again, mom, kind of space. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it's just, it, it works. And sometimes at the end of the day, it's gratitude for the fact that my mother couldn't call me. Hmm. And I, would, I could be there for her. And more importantly, she could be there for me. 
And how how long would it take for somebody miserable like me? Uh, well, I'm, I'm not miserable. You know what I mean. Somebody. You tell, us, that, you tell yourself that you absolutely are going to be there. That's the intention you're setting. Exactly. How long would it take for somebody to make this a habit for it to have an impact? Um, there has been. It's scientifically proven that on average it takes sixty six days. Wow. On average. Okay. But three weeks to start it forming as a habit, 66 days for it to become automatic. Where you then find joy in actually having that habit. So within in three weeks, it should become easier? Yes. But and then 66 days on average. Days. Yeah. And after that, you, you start, when it becomes part, when it becomes automatic, you may not notice it as much as somebody else who says, oh, what's going on with you, Darren? Mm. You feel lighter, you, you're smiling more, all that kind of stuff. And you may not notice it. But the one thing that you will notice is because you have stayed with it and made that effort, it becomes a form of self-awareness. It becomes a form of self-love that you're standing by your word. You're holding yourself accountable for something you committed to. Hmm. And that self-awareness. And that self-awareness. Well, I, th I think I need. I think I need to give this a try now. <laughs> it should absolutely. <laughs> then let me know how it goes, Darren. I'm going to give this a try. And become less, of a, less of a miserable sort. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Try not to insult people in the office quite so much. <laughs> but they they expect it. They expect it. They they they, they do. Wow. Um, so, how do you get across the benefits to people of of what you do? Because it, it's intangible. It is intangible. So, how do you describe that? How, how would somebody know that they need you, yeah. even so when, they, the, when they don't think they do? So, after the initial conversation, when they sign up, one of the first things as part, they get a questionnaire. And one of the things that's in the questionnaire is... It's, so what I do is a 13-week process for Aspire to Achieve. It's 13 weeks. I hold them in that space for 13 weeks. How will you know at the end of the 13 weeks you've got it? So what is the tangible proof that you will have that, you've, that you're going to work towards? And sometimes it's something simple like I'll jump out of bed with a smile on my face. But when they're in that pain, that is what they're looking for as proof that, that that they've gotten there, that that's, mm. or it's something like, I'll be, how will you know you're in a better relationship? So the answer could be something like, I'll be having a conversation with my husband without it being a trigger for each of us, for either of us. And we put that down as tangible proof during one of the very first sessions we do. And at the end of the 13 weeks, we go back and we check on it. And have you got that? Hmm. See, in business, you look at numbers. Yeah. Yeah. You, case, you'll have you'll have KPIs, key performance indicators, yeah. and this this yeah. is what you need to achieve, and when you need when you need to achieve it. So you, yeah, you'll have smart goals. It's so we set, so thing. we set smart goals too. Hmm. 
we set smart goals, but they're more about the relationship or they're more about the person and how they'll be feeling. But by making them think about what it would look like for them when they when they've achieved it, is the start of setting that goal. So in thirteen weeks' time, this is the goal that we're aiming for. Hmm. And when when you work with someone on this, because you, you mentioned one of them might be uh, have conversations with the husband without it being triggering. Are you working with the husband as well, or is it just the one person within the relationship? I, I, I do relationship coaching too. So I do couples too, if that's if both couples are willing to, to have that. But I do it separately. So the first, until the day of the alignment, which is roughly around the seventh week, the first six weeks are done individually. They're not done together because I found that a lot of it was she did this and he did this instead of looking at themselves. Then after the hour, hour and a half with me, they had to spend the rest of the week with each other. And it became a battle of you said this and you said this. So I take that away. And for the first six weeks, I work with them individually. I work on their individual goals, their individual values, their individual awareness. Then bring them together after the alignment happens. I bring them individually into an alignment too. Mm. From the eighth week on, I work with them together as a as a couple. Because by then, they've brought their goals, their values into alignment. And now it's just a matter of having the conversations and holding each other accountable for those conversations. And it's less about blame at that point. It's more about what each one wanted out, wants out of that relationship and then having those conversations. Do, do people typically know what they want out of a relationship at this stage? Not in the beginning. They just know what it looks like to them. They just know it would look like a conversation where we're, we don't end up fighting, for example. Mm. And then we work, that becomes their smart goal, what it looks like to them. But to get to that space, we then have to work on their, their values, their aspirations, all of those, the, their awareness, what it is in them that wants that. Mm. And then the alignment, and then after that, they work as couples together. So my couples therapy is slightly different. Not, well, not therapy, coaching is different in that it's individual until a point so that there's no blame on the other yeah is there a a big difference between um, relationship coaching and counseling there the difference is for coaching it's about goal goal oriented goal oriented yeah it's about the future and counseling tends to counseling therapy tends to be about a traumatic event in the past and talking about it. Coaching tends to be, yes, this happened, so let's get you past it, and how can we make it better for you so that you can have the goals that you desire for the future? Mm. And it's less about the labeling. It's less about putting them in those boxes where, okay, you're this kind of a person, you fall into this avoidant kind of space, or you fall into this narcissistic space, or you fall into this uh, uh, ADHD or autistic band. I, I, I don't believe in any of those. Mm. In sense. As a coach, it's not about those labels. It's not about identifying as those labels either. And it's just about these are the goals that the client wants and let's get you there. 
it's, it's interesting you say that actually about about the the labels because a lot of people are obsessed with yeah. I've got yeah I've got ADHD or I've got Asperger's or what it is, but it, it's a lot more detailed than that, isn't it? There's a lot more nuance. There is to picking something out like that. Absolutely, and there's a space for it, a place for it. But what happens is sometimes the client starts identifying with that, and then they they don't seek to improve simply because they're beginning to identify with that label. Oh, I don't need to do this because I have this. It becomes an excuse. Yeah. So then they stay in that space where they're not moving past it or not attempting to move past it. There are cases where they can't move past it, but by not identifying with it straight away, you can actually make things better for yourself. Mm. It's almost that they're manifesting it because they're, or, or self-actualizing. They think that's what they are, therefore that's what they're going to be because that's yeah. how they think they, they should behave. And then that sets that puts them in into a box of limitations, right? They can't mm. go beyond that because they that becomes their boundary. That's their limit. Mm. Well, that's it. That, to be honest, that, that, that's particular interest to me as well because my, my eldest son was diagnosed with Asperger's about 10 years ago or so now. And if I'm right, I don't think they diagnose people with Asperger's anymore, if I'm correct. But he, he insists that he hasn't because he's he's looked into the whole thing and absolutely has broken it down and says, I, I, I don't have Asperger's. And it's fascinating to hear him explain in great detail why he hasn't. Got because he's, he's not pigeonholed himself in it. Yeah, absolutely. And kudos to him for doing that. Hmm. Because then he's... Even if he had it, it's boundless with what he can now do. Hmm. Because he's not going to limit himself. No, no, he's definitely not. No. Yeah. Okay, wow. It's all getting very, very deep. I, I knew it would. I knew it would. <laughs> <laughs> I, I knew it would. I'm not a deep person. Um, <laughs> well, you're gonna, you're going to set intentions, though, right? I, 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 well, I, I absolutely am, yes, because I, as I say, I am very aware of the fact that I'm getting up and I'm, I'm setting myself off in a bad mood to begin with, and I am, I've, I've been aware a long time I'm doing it. I know I'm doing it. You know, I'll, I'll sort of wake up in the morning and within the first, like, 20 minutes, I'll go, oh, I'm tired. And he's like, I'm not. I'm not tired. I'm just telling myself I'm tired like it's some excuse for the day, and I know I'm doing it, but I've not stopped doing it yet i've not i did it this morning i've not stopped doing it i've not set myself any way of you know switching that around i'm just telling myself i'm tired therefore i'm becoming tired and therefore i i'm, I'm annoyed in the morning but there we are that, that's me see i know i'm not at least i know i'm doing it that, that's a start i think that's a yeah. start so now you're going to set intentions and in 66 days you're going to let me know how it went <laughs> yes and yeah. your staff are going to wonder what happened to you. <laughs> they, they, yeah, they're, they're definitely going to. Yeah, definitely going to wonder. So, right, we are pretty much out of time now. Absolutely. I know, which is shocking. Um, one, one last question I want to ask: if, if somebody wants to reach out to you, if they want to to work with you or follow you or, or just have a conversation with you, what's the best way for them to to get in touch? So my uh, website is vipola.com, V-I-P-O-O-L-A.com. There is a link there to book sessions for me on the calendar. And 
they can just reach out or they can just schedule a, a, a half an hour chat through that. And I'll be happy to jump. I'll send, they'll receive a Zoom link and I'll be happy to jump on a Zoom call and have a chat with them. Absolutely. Okay, thank you. I will put that link below the podcast. So if you're watching this on YouTube, it's in the video description. If you're on iTunes or Spotify or whatever, it'll be in the, in the show notes below the podcast as well. And I'll put in your social media as well for your, your Instagram and your, your TikTok thank so you. people can get in touch with you that way. Uh, Vipula, it has been fascinating talking to you. I, I have definitely learned something and I have a plan going forward. Thank you so much for having me, Darren. <laughs> it's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs>